okay. I yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's good. Also, something I notice obviously Uh-oh. cut About this out. Me? <laughs> yeah, you kind of like go down at the end of your sentences, and I can't hear the last word or the last two words of your sentences. Please don't be nervous about it, but just like you know why that is why. Because when I talk to George, I'm so self-conscious about going up, like, because he always gives me so much shit about that. But it's because I'm such a quiet talker that all my loud friends always interrupt me all the time, like you. So it's my fault again. So when, when I'm talking and I'm not done, I need to end up as like kind of a dash, like, I'm not done yet. So now I'm, it's so in my head to not end like I'm talking like this, but now I'm just like trailing off and doing nothing. <laughs> so it still is my fault. <laughs> I was like, she, I was like, she's not ending on a question. It's not about me. It's fine. And then, nope, it's still your fault. <laughs> hey guys, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whichever it is that you're hearing this. This is Middlebrow. Unibrow. Unibrow, the middlest brow on your head. Uh, oh. This is my best friend, Lindsay Schultz. And with me here is my best friend, Olive Moya. Oh. Ooh, ooh, this, ooh, ooh. this is, oh, what about like when you're in trouble in elementary school? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. I want that to be my, if someone ever like is excited that I'm there, I want that to be my thing. Like I'm, I walk in and they, and I feel like I'm in trouble immediately. <laughs> Everyone's just like, ooh. Yep. Okay. This is Middlebrow. Middlebrow is a podcast hosted by completely average, normal, not special. <laughs> you probably don't want to listen to us human artists. <laughs> low confidence levels today we (laughs) we talk about art we try to be super interesting it's for artists and for people who want to know about art but are intimidated trust me we're right there with you we are right there with you obviously yeah jesus today's episode is on nina chanel abney I don't know what to look at. Should I look at this or your face or my voice? There's so many things. We need like so many. an FBI office in the 90s movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to take a bite of toast. Sorry. Um, okay. So are we ready? Nina Chanel Abney. First of all, I just want you to get an idea of her. I wish she was my best friend, but there's so no cute. way. She's way too cool for me. Like your second best friend though? Uh, sure. <laughs> oh, nope was her answer. Nope. <laughs> Olive can come after Nina. Um, no, Nina wouldn't be my best friend, so it's fine. You're safe. <laughs> Low confidence. <laughs> she always wears a hat, and she's got... Oh, yeah. Uh, sometimes she has short hair, but normally in most of her photos, she has these long dreads, and um, with just the best outfits. It's like... My ideal look of a mix between total tomboy and then really classy. Because she'll wear a jean shirt, but then if you... I don't think I put it in here. But then she has, like, fancy shoes. Like, super shiny Oxfords with a tomboy outfit. Um, So I saw you follow her on Instagram, too. I do. Did you just come across her? 
No, no. It was because of you and the peanuts thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So she was born in 1982 in Harvey, Illinois, and she lives and works in New York now. I didn't know exactly where to put this, so I just put it here. Um, (laughs) Right at the beginning. Good morning. (laughs) We don't know what to do with this information. (laughs) Okay. I'm pretty sure it's a big portion of who she is. It is, but she never talks about it. I couldn't find her talking about it. Anyway, so I was trying to look in interviews if she talks about being queer or if queerness has an impact on her work and i couldn't find her talking about it at all the only thing i ever found but on instagram she posted a picture of her and who i assume's her girlfriend but it was like them two together and it was a bunch of hashtags like woman crush wednesday and in love and love and all this stuff which that's I like would, pictures of us together yeah like i would totally <laughs> that's what we hashtag hashtags <laughs> of us like that so um when i went to that girl's instagram and scroll through there she had a picture of them together and hashtagged qwoc it stands for queer women of color it just it doesn't come up in her work she talks about race and politics and gender and things like that and i mean gender is a part of queerness but she it's she doesn't openly discuss it as like it being a really important factor in how she makes work the thing is, is when you're being weird about it, it, it's so hard because you just want to be respectful and write about how you're going about it. And you really, sometimes you just don't know. So in the being weird, we're just trying to be the most supportive and loving towards <laughs> the whole thing. We're being weird because we just want to do it right. That's all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's obvious. Okay. Nina was raised by her mom, Carla, who was something of an artist herself and her two aunts and her grandfather. Um, who were not artists, but raised her, (laughs) just to be clear. Okay, go on. Nina recalled, One day, I found my mom's oil paints in the basement, so I started to play around with that. As a child, she liked to mimic Archie comics, Disney characters, and the Bernstein bears. Did you do that when you were a kid? Oh, you know what I did do? Huh? I tried to copy so many things. I loved the show... (laughs) The wild thornberries. <gasps> Me too. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm going to create a show. And it was called like the wild blueberries or something. <laughs> 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 and it was the exact same premise. Like all the characters looked exactly the same. Instead of a what? monkey, it was something. Was Eliza less, isn't that, wasn't that her name? Eliza? Yeah. Eliza. Was she less nerdy? Because that was the one thing I hated about her. She was kind of too much. Yeah, I, I think like, Eliza okay, I really was like, don't like you. <laughs> I turned myself into her character. Okay, gotcha. But I also had that tomboy sister, and mm-hmm. she looked identical. <laughs> okay, good to know. But no, I didn't like redraw a lot of comics or things like that. It wasn't I really liked my Garfield thing. a lot. <clears throat> Did you? I had a ton of Garfield books. That's like. a really weird thing to like. Hey, Garfield loved food and was just like a fat, <laughs> sarcastic, sassy ass cat. He was the coolest. He was so, just like, fuck all y'all. And then ate lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> I had multiple like books this thick of, of comics and I would draw him sometimes. Is it? Does it stem from your slight animosity for your mom making you eat like fruit salad and fuck yeah (laughs) she wouldn't even give me fruit like that was too much sugar for me she made me eat just straight oatmeal without any sugar in it 
and my brother oh. would get waffles. <laughs> That's the meanest thing. Like, at least wait till I leave for school to give him waffles in front of my face. Like, that's so mean. Have you ever talked to her about this? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> I tell her it was the worst. And she's like, I was just trying to help you. And I'm like, oh. cool, thanks. It's because she was the one who gave me high cholesterol in kindergarten. And then I think she felt guilty about it. Oh. So she tried to counteract. And then Derek was just a skinny motherfucker. And he just never ate anything, especially when he was young. And so she was trying to fatten him up and, like, skinny me down. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I already like Carla. Carla. I don't know why. Yeah. Carla, her mom, got married and had i think like remarried i don't know if she was married to nina's dad but um she ended up getting married and this new guy had a daughter too around the same age as nina the girls bounced around from one montessori school to the next and for anyone who doesn't know about montessori should i just explain it really yeah quick? i want to know i've heard okay. about it but i never really at CalArts, I took this class called, it was like childish or something like that. It's basically like people who make art, or like oh, childlike okay. art. Yeah. And with that, we had to learn all about kind of child development and schools that children were raised in and different methods of raising. There was a school in France that let kids just do whatever they wanted, including just like smoking cigarettes outside. What? Yeah. How did that turn out? Not great. I mean, it's, <laughs> <clears throat> it's not a really? thing anymore. That's very surprising. Yeah, I know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Can't believe that didn't go well. <laughs> they could just like determine their entire program. And they're just like, this is what I want to learn about. And this is what I want to learn about. Did any and of then... them want to learn about something? I'm sorry. I asked so many questions. You just can't tell me children are smoking cigarettes and expect <laughs> me to just take it for face French value. school, kids smoking... This is just talking about modern day French kids smoking. Okay, well, yeah, no wonder the French were like, "It's normal. Why are we freaking out about this?" Yeah, we've been doing this for years. My kids have been smoking and dying at ten for years. Um, um, I mean, I already knew this from researching a long time ago, but it was uh, Sweden or Switzerland. (laughs) One of them's like the number one rated education program in the world, and part of the system that's different is that they encourage students' strengths versus trying to catch them up on their weaknesses. Yeah. But in America, if you're awesome at like biology, but you suck at math, they're going to be like, let's spend all of your extra time on math. So you can just be like mediocre across the board versus really excelling in something. No, I agree. I think you should. And and people want to feel good about what they're doing. Kids, like I think that's why a lot of kids end up doing fucked up shit stuff when they're in high school or whatever is because people keep trying to tell them that they're that they suck or Mm -hmm. they feel shitty because they can't do one thing whereas if someone was like you're amazing at putting things together let's focus on it yeah probably grow up and have all this confidence and do well not everybody needs to know algebra i mean you need to know everything sort of on a basic level the important thing is to be able to have something that is stimulating and gives you a direction in life. If Mm -hmm. you're constantly being told that you're never good enough, you're not going to have the confidence to go out into the world and be like, this is what I want to do and get it done. Exactly. I also think... That person might have cured cancer 
and that teacher <laughs> fucked them over. Yeah. Thanks, teacher. <laughs> no, we love teachers. It's not the teacher's fault. It's the fucking no. government's fault. Uh, there's some teachers that should not be Yeah, teaching. no, agreed. Anyway, so Montessori method views the child as one who is naturally eager for knowledge and capable of initiating learning in a supportive, thoughtfully prepared learning environment. It attempts to develop children physically, socially, emotionally, and cognitively. There is a particular focus on allowing children to make their own choices in learning, with a teacher guiding the process rather than leading it. Much of the education method relies on hands-on learning, self-directed activity, and collaborative play. Also, they are the ones who play with the Goldwood blocks. Oh, I added that. I was like, that seems like a different tone. <laughs> George and I actually had a conversation so about... Which I think actually parallels so much to what we saw when Romeo got the phone with the YouTube when I was there. Oh my god, yeah. And like the fact that kids are so addicted to that stimulus. Like if you go out to... I I don't know, it's hard because I'm not a parent so I can't be judgy about things. But it, it is really easy to put screens in front of your kids where for years and years and years beforehand like kids didn't have screens and they could still like play with crayons or play like Mm -hmm. we went to pizza places and they would give kids like raw dough to just like squeeze and shape i think about like long road trips we didn't have any of that shit on road trips we Mm -mm. had to play the license plate game for hours (laughs) and like (laughs) and i spy yeah i spy or like listen to music for hours on end I would just pretend I had invisible animal friends that would run alongside the car with me. Oh, yeah, I had like a wolf. So cool. I had like a few wolves and like a cheetah. I think people take it too far. Like in the grocery store, I don't. I would never give it to him in the grocery store. But I see people like at Trader Joe's all the time. They just hand it to their kid, and their kid just is not paying attention. I use that oh. as an opportunity to talk to him. Like, what is this? Yeah. And let him hold things, and we talk about colors or like what we're gonna make for dinner or. Mm-hmm. And then same, like in the car, like I don't give him anything in the car and we talk or he falls asleep or whatever. I mean, I know he's young now, but it's just one of those where I just don't like the idea of them getting to, they say you're not even supposed to give him a screen until after two. And then even then it's like, it should be less than an hour. Back to Nina. We barely, we always do this. We got two sentences. Not even a page. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's do this. Um, Okay. They bounced around from one Montessori to school to the next, and they were often the only black students in their class. Then, one afternoon, driving home from school with her mom just across the border from Indiana, or in Indiana, her mom was pulled over by a local cop. As he walked up to the car, Nina immediately recognized him, or really her face in him. And it was her biological dad who she never met. Oh my god, this is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) twists and turns she didn't reconnect with him until 2015 and are currently attempting to build a relationship now wait what what happened yeah i don't know that's all she talked about whoa did he pull over her mom to be like hey baby girl how you been (laughs) 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 or was it just a coincidence and then he's like oh shit i don't really want to talk to you bye (laughs) we're like what happened (laughs) i was just curious that was an exciting moment I know, like it was a, dramatic it was like a cinematic yeah, moment. Yeah, it really was. So, sorry everyone for the letdown. <laughs> Take your complaints to Nina. For high school, they were no longer the only black girls, but they were still teased for talking white. You can never have everything. You're not black enough. You're not white enough. Like, what the fuck, dude? Yep. 
Yeah. They have a name for that in Spanish. Poncho, really? I think. It's, like, really offensive. Yeah, if you say, like, pinche poncho, it's, like, if you're in Mexico or somewhere, it's, like, you're not Mexican enough, but you're not hmm. white enough either. You don't fit in America and you don't fit in Mexico. It was very similar for George in Japan because he is only half Japanese. Yeah. And so when he goes to Japan, there is this, like, outsiderness to him. And we go places and they'll immediately assume to speak English to him. Yeah. And then sometimes he'll start speaking Japanese just to be like, yeah, fuck no, you. <laughs> I'm Japanese. Um, but I, I dug a little bit more into like where he thinks this kind of animosity and is it like a jealousy thing or we got into it. And I don't remember the full conversation. I'd, part of it was, I think, a aesthetics thing where so many Asian people try to get surgeries or do things to alter their appearances to appear more Western. Yeah. And he already has that mix of like so being jealous. Asian but being Western. Yeah. So the only thing they have on him is like, well, I'm full, I'm fully Japanese. Like you're, yep. you're, but that's the same with everything. And why, and we created it, not us specifically, <laughs> but like white people are like, white is the best. And if you got a little white in you, you look better like that's michael michael jackson dealt with that like you know everybody in the whole world like yeah. the whiter even in like spanish tv like latino television mm-hmm. it's all the like whitewashed people like mm-hmm. you never see the darker people on tv you just don't and white people don't even look that great. no let's be honest <laughs> so nina navigated this and by this i meant i mean the teased for talking white so she navigated this by uh, taking requests for portraits of famous black figures in pop culture as sort of a friendly icebreaker. Aww. And she would do things like drawing Tupac. Nina received her BFA in 2004 from Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. Do you remember the band Augustana? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, actually. I didn't listen to <laughs> I it, I think really. I'm going to bust it. <laughs> Our musical references are going to be so <laughs> embarrassing. So <bad. laughs> it's just like Warp Tour from 2006 to 2012. Nina got her MFA from Parsons School of Design Ooh. in New York in 2007, right as we were entering our BFA. Oh, yeah. She's four mm-hmm. years ahead. Um, she's more than four years ahead of us because that was... Graduating from MFA. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're right. Damn it. I thought we were so close to her. Sorry, Dax. Not quick math there. No. Quick math is not my thing. Let's never compare me to Dax as far as quick math goes. God. Okay. She took AP art in high school and then got a dual major in studio art and computer science at Augustana College. While she was there, there was a campus-wide walkout protesting the lack of black faculty. And cites this as a turning point for her as an artistic interest in tackling political themes. Mm. She took a year off, and then after graduating, she took a job on the assembly line at Ford Motor Company. But after watching a female co-worker's leg get (gasps) crushed in a freak accident... She left. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, nope. She had painted every day after work for a year and was eventually accepted to both the Art Institute of Chicago and Parsons School of Design. 
For her MFA thesis show, she created a diptych called Class of 2007, which was her first big break. The painting was purchased by the Rubel family collection. Uh, she depicted her in- entire MFA class, all white kids, as black and incarcerated, and herself as the prison guard, white with blonde hair holding the gun. Um, and this is something she often does in her later work. She like switches genders and switches race and like switch, switches things up. So it's not like weird for her to do that yeah a bunch of her classmates went up to her and was just like do you hate me yeah um (laughs) am i the one with the big hoop earrings which one am i (laughs) uh but yeah she said a lot of people thought that she just didn't like her class or was mad at them and she was just like no like i don't paint specific people like they're just faces do you like this yeah i was gonna say a few things okay I like it. I see how it's the beginning of her style. Mm-hmm. I was so excited to see her early work because I know it was it was going to be a transition. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see where she started off. Yeah. And then it's how. really different. I like I really like but this the other one. thing is like it's I don't know if many people know this, but it's kind of crazy. Maybe Parsons is different, but I don't think anyone's work at CalArts was bought from their mfa yeah show. when you said that i was like whoa what yeah and maybe it's different in the new york scene but like even when we had mfa shows maybe for our mfa group show more people came to look at it but like individual mfa shows no one came whatsoever it was just like all the students and faculty yeah that's not that when you said the rubel family i was like whoa what yeah i mean i think it's i think people need to know that it's pretty crazy to have yeah that doesn't your happen. work purchased Especially by a collection. Um, yeah. They don't an MFA show. purchase things unless they think that person's going somewhere. Like people yep. who collect art are trying to make money. <laughs> they like yeah. art, but they also just want to make money. So they're trying to make good investments. They certainly did. Yeah. Um, she quickly developed a distinctive method improvising images using sources of stenciled shapes and symbols and graffiti-like touches of spray paint. Posters and billboards come to mind along with Matisse cutouts. We see the entangled effects of racial prejudice, misogyny, violence, and environmental depredation laid out like the scrambled pieces of a puzzle. Miss Abney's sources and inspirations range accordingly and include Basquiat... Ramari. Picasso. Yeah. <laughs> um, Basquiat Berdin. Bedon. <laughs> Who is that? I don't know that person. Stuart Davis and Faith Ringgold. Digital imaging and street art. Robert Colescott, Picasso, and Robert H. Johnson. I don't know mm, these people. I'm looking it up. It definitely looks like that. Who's Picasso? Well, not Picasso. <laughs> Ramari <laughs> Bearden or whatever. Roma Biron. Yeah, he's definitely a white French guy. <laughs> I don't know what he is, but he has a beret on, so. <laughs> Look at Stuart Davis. Ooh, I want to do Stuart Davis. Oh, wow. Yeah, isn't that cool? Totally see the connection. Yeah, 100%. They're like exactly her work. <laughs> she takes the same X's and O's and cuts yeah. and text on it. Yeah. Like <laughs> We end up hating her at the end of this, too. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Stuart Davis was doing this work and he died in 1964. He was born in 1894 and he was doing this. He would be so popular today. This is what everyone's making. That's nuts. See, I just didn't... Man, we're learning so much. If this podcast goes nowhere, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be so much smarter and more informed. 
Can you add this guy to your yeah, list? Yeah, I'm adding him. Really I'm so cool. excited. Um, okay. Also, Nina is doing some pretty heavy appropriation of this. Like, yeah, at I least know. she's calling him out. But, like, it's some pretty... I guess only a few pieces. Like, as I scroll down, it's not too... What if I just didn't know who someone was and my work looked a lot like them? And maybe you... I, I mean, it's totally possible... Yeah, I think that happens all the time. You make something and you just think you're making your own work. And then someone's like, yeah, you should really look into this person. And then you take a note and you go into your studio and you Google it. And then it's just like, well, they just did exactly Your whole what life starts crumbling. You're like, oh, why am I even <laughs> making anything? Abney draws on mainstream news media, animated cartoons, video games, hip hop culture, celebrity websites, and tabloid magazines to make paintings replete with symbols that appear to have landed on the canvas with the stream of consciousness uh, immediacy of text messages, pop-up windows, and the scrolling headlines of an incessant 24-hour news cycle. By engaging loaded topics and controversial issues with irreverence, humor, and lampooning satire, Abney's work are both uh, Abney's work are both pointed contemporary genre scenes as well as scathing commentaries on social attitudes and inequities. How's that sentence that was for you? That a nice-ass sentence. Did Joshua write this? <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled some sure. of the images just from like 2008, 2009, 2012, 2015, so you can start seeing the changes in them. So in Randaliza... 2008 you can see the, the strokes and like how the paint was applied it almost looks like washes some of it's thicker but some of it's still really loosey-goosey mm-hmm. and the faces are much more detailed and there's a lot of scribbling like the the flowers in the background and some strokes of the grass yeah and there's like a, a like a collage aspect to it like mm-hmm. the one guy's nose is just like a white white piece of paper looking like just like a flat nose on top and their lips are just like flat different colors and like her in her face even is looks collagey then ivy and the janitor in january 2009 gets like way flattened down there's still a lot of detail in it compared to other works but it already gets flattened like the all the paint is just there's no texture yeah but there's still, it's definitely a scene. Yeah. Like they're on a subway from what it looks yeah, like, right? Yeah, for sure. And then down to 2012, it's just like her work. <laughs> yeah. So then it really gets more abstracted, busier, not necessarily a representation of something. Like in this Ivy and the Janitor, like you said, they're on a subway. You can see the seat, mm-hmm. you can see the windows kind of... There's definitely some weird aspects where there's just floating numbers and floating hands and some other stuff like that. But but then you get into this 2012, 2015 work and it's just shapes and letters and numbers and colors and pieces of faces. Mm-hmm. But there's no scene. Like you could you can't ground it in anything. It's all just kind of on top of each other. Yeah, but I mean, below, we'll talk, she still makes some works that have a scene and kind of a, still a cohesiveness and a narrative in her shows. She'll have really large pieces. So if you go down to the one below, it's, there's, oh yeah, like black and blues. There's still a scene that's happening and those are her massive works. And then she has smaller works that are more of these, the abstracted Mm -hmm. ones. 
she said i always said i wanted to be a famous painter i just never knew what that really meant people who are familiar with my work know that i'm always picking hot topics she says adding that the work also addresses how something could be hot and then fizzle but don't go prodding for a backstory she wants the work to stand alone I'm not going to give you one story because I'm more than one thing, says Abney. Whatever I feel like painting, I just paint it. For me, nothing is off limits. Which is kind of like the Diego conversation. I know, I was just going to say that. But she also has a very specific idea for it. She's not saying, whatever I feel like painting, I just paint it. She's saying that, but she's not saying it doesn't mean anything. Right. She has this way she puts work together, but she also wants people to have her own, their own experience with the work too. So in a way it is, it's like everyone. I think it comes back to everyone's work though. You can't really be on one side completely or the other because the, the work still goes out and has to stand alone because maybe you're not there and maybe there isn't wall text. You has to be able to be seen by someone who doesn't understand references in art or whatever at some point you're gonna have to let it be that right it's funny because i was also thinking of the diego thing when she said the social media all that stuff coming at you i'm like that's what diego said about his work i like this blacks and blues how big is it it is 84 inches by 120 inches hey not quick math nicole so 10 feet seven feet by 10 feet um, and then she has one that's like three of these panels. It just goes down like the entire wow. wall. Okay. That's really cool. Ooh, I like seeing them in the space. And then in, in the mount, the snow on the mountains, it looks like it's a stencil. And then she just used it different mm-hmm. directions and it was spray painted or something. And she's obviously using spray paint, like the blood on his hands. I'm assuming that's blood. Yep. He looks angry. Like he just hurt somebody. Okay. Pulling from different sources, Mount Rushmore found photos from Charlottesville, Israelites in Harlem. She puts it together for a cohesive narrative. Never fully thought out before she makes it. She likes to keep things abstracted. So it's just enough information so you know it's a nose or for it to be a nose, but not actually painting a nose on a face. It's like, how could I communicate that it's a nose in the simplest way? Like, if it's just a triangle, that could work, or... Yeah. Exactly. Um, So her her whole practice became about how to simplify things. She chooses phrases and symbols that have multiple meanings. And then she talked about playing with that. So one thing that could be taken a certain way, and then, like, flips it upside down. So it could be taken sarcastically, or... She's really into, like, switching the context of things. Well, even just adding a question mark. She puts boo, and then she has a question mark at the end, so it's like, boo? Yeah. You're like, how does she mean that? I don't know. (laughs) She says, it's very intuitive. On the news, whatever, it can find its way into the work. She switches things in her work, gender, race, to throw the viewer off, but to feel like they can equally participate. What do you mean, like, they can... I guess just to make it more universal for people to look at. So if you're looking at something that is a scene that is of a a black experience of police brutality, but by switching up gender and race and everything, it opens it up for people to feel included and to be able to participate and engage in the painting. Or like, I wonder even in that first painting where she, she switched the race of the people in her class, I bet they immediately looked Mm -hmm. at that and were like, what would it feel like to be that instead of 
you know, they see, if it were the other way around, they see themselves in the white person. Whereas in this one, they're like, mm-hmm. but I'm the black one. How would that feel? These are so striking. Mm-hmm. Here's um, part of the press statement that Jack Shaneman Gallery put together for her show, Seized the Imagination. Uh, the show was from November 9th to December 20th, 2017. And it says, Combining representation and abstraction, her work captures the frenetic pace of contemporary culture, broaching subjects as diverse as race, celebrity, religion, politics, sex, and art history. Seize the imagination, eschews linear storytelling in favor of disjointed narratives, creating an atmosphere that speaks to the helplessness many feel in the wake of today's political climate. Abney's distinctive declarative color palette and pulsating. <laughs> Again, pulsating. <laughs> I hate that word. Declarative color palette and pulsating forms come together in tightly compressed compositions to convey a sense of action on the brink of claustrophobia and potential collapse. The overarching mood is a nothing matters attitude in response to conditions that are seemingly inescapable and irreversible. Global warming, xenophobia, gun violence, racism, sexism that permeate news headlines across the country. Rather than depicting specific conflicts, Abney highlights the violence of the takeover and the simultaneous passivity in submitting to a force greater than oneself, no matter how ominous and dispiriting the reality. The feeling of information overload that emanates throughout is at times joyful, but also stresses media's role as a tool to manipulate and deceive. Abney's enigmatic canvases propose a new type of history painting, one grounded in the barrage of everyday events and their collision of anxieties, all funneled through the velocity of the internet. I just realized it's really hard to present without wearing my glasses. Wow. Do you feel like before reading this, which parts of it do you automatically just say like, yes, I felt that immediately? I mean, I definitely connect to the like anxiety of it and technologies. I guess I haven't looked at all of them super closely. Technology is harder for me to see. She definitely gets super right. political. There's one where it just says, like, fuck Trump across, like, the hood of a car yeah. or something. Yeah, I can see and that. And the imagery that she uses, the the violence and brutality that she depicts in her work is obviously mm-hmm. present. It's it's an interesting balance between the playfulness, the appeal of her colors and the way she presents the information. So her work has been described as easy to swallow and hard to digest, And she talks about using color and her interest in cartoons to draw people Mm -hmm. in, but then they have to grapple with the subject matter. And so I think it's interesting that that she uses this as a very strategic way to get people to look and pay Mm -hmm. attention. So even though it's really intense, and I think a lot of people would want to go into the space of like, look how serious this is. This is a really serious problem and an issue in this world and try to make it more serious. She sort of goes into this realm where it's playful and it's colorful and it's appealing. And then you're confronted with the seriousness like you're sort of blindly yeah you're drawn in and then you're into, like oh it says fuck yeah. trump and people there's a gun and there's people people being in situations that they don't want to be in <laughs> yeah she also talks about when you like if you walk into her show she wants them to feel encapsulated by the imagery 
in an overwhelming way and forced to interact. Like the figures uh, might all be staring from the paintings, like are all staring outward at the person. Mm -hmm. And so it creates like an intimate interaction with the work. I was going to say like, I feel the new side of it a lot and maybe less on social media side but i can see how that gets brought into it too well and not only that but i guess the way we interact with the news nowadays is through social media and we're being bombarded in that way so i get that aspect like we can't just go on instagram or facebook without seeing some sort of video of some shit happening and in a way we kind of disregard it because of that like we see too much of it and Mm-hmm. in between like nice pictures of food and <laughs> stuff like that yeah so it is kind of this it's inescapable like she says but also the mood of the nothing matters attitude is yeah you you scroll past that shit you're just like yep yeah, and someone's getting beat up by the cops again and uh, trump is still fucking president <laughs> and this yeah. you know i mean it's it feels like when you scroll through social media like the the images between the intensities like a palette cleanser where it's like something really intense and then it just gets washed away and then something else really intense and then it just gets washed away okay yeah i know and that's the hard part that's the hardest part on a plus side so this is her work country ken which we'll post a picture of too it was made in 2012 and it was her first artwork to be offered at auction, and which was at Christie's New York in 2018. And the work sold for $47,500, which was 691% above the estimate. That's nuts. <laughs> that, I don't even... What? Um, and the piece was sold on March 1st, 2018. <sighs> It's interesting. Like, of all the works, I'm su- not surprised. Like, I would just think a different work would go for more. This isn't one of no, my favorite No, me neither. Ones. That's a funny thing. I mean, I like it. Um, in 2018, she had uh, her Royal Flush show at the Chicago Cultural Center. And it, so it talks about here... Given her emphasis on racial politics, it's worth looking at Abney in the context of Carrie James Marshall, an accomplished painter whose commitment to showing black lives has unfortunately allowed him to be used as shorthand for representational justice. Abney also seems concerned with the parameters of blackness, both untitled IXI black and untitled XXXXXX show black police officers in a position of power when pitted against white protesters. When, But where Marshall's radicalism arises from making blackness more visible in the absence of whiteness, Abney's work smashes blackness and whiteness together, <laughs> slices each into pieces, and jumbles them into an angular collage. Oftentimes, it comes off as a mess, but that's because we are. Oh, I like that sentence. Also, she did a ton of stuff last year. It's crazy. If someone bought my piece for $47,000, I would never stop making art. I'd be like, and we're off to the races. (laughs) (laughs) Other people would be like, and I'm done for the year. Cliff would say, bye. Don't ever talk about it or buy it ever again. People are going to be confused since we're going to release Cliff after this. (laughs) 
I'm like, who are you talking about? Our buddy Clifford Cliff. Still, he's my best friend. So in 2018 at the Institute of Contemporary Art Los Angeles, she had a show from September 23rd and it just ended in January 20th. Did you see of that? this year? Oh. Nope. <laughs> I honestly didn't know oh, it was there. Yeah. I was going to say, I bet you would venture to downtown for that. Yeah. You can get good boba. You can do all sorts of fun things yeah. downtown. I need to just pay attention to what's around me more. I think this is going to make us pay attention more. I'm yeah. excited about that. Royal Flush was there, and it was the first solo museum exhibition and a 10-year survey of the artist's paintings, watercolors, cool. and collages. In Los Angeles, the exhibition uh, will be presented or was presented jointly by the Institute of Contemporary Art and the California African American Museum. So this is a detail. Like, this is just a small piece. I put a the YouTube link, but it's like a huge wall. And that's just like a tiny little part of it. I don't know. Just copy and paste it. I'm so glad about editing. <laughs> hey, I hate that you can see what I'm doing. That's a cool wall. And I'm curious if it's all like, because on the tables, you can see there's a bunch of cutouts. So I'm wondering if it's all just like pasted on as a collage or if she actually paints stuff. Oh, it's like a vinyl. Do you think it's a vinyl? They painted the background for sure. How else would you get it that flat if it was already made? That's still really cool. She did this huge mural at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston. And it's going to be up from January 17th, 2019 to March 15th, 2020. She will create a mural that speaks to social tensions in the digital age, including the constant stream of true and false information, the dilemma of liberal racism, and abuses of power that lead to structural inequality. I'm going to talk about some of her other projects that she's done, like her work was involved in the Google Pixel cases, the live cases, which which is your case maybe one. that's how it started i asked you about that and you were like oh it's nina and then that's why i follow yeah. p.s i like how so the google pixel cases shout out google you can sponsor us now too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> their cases are so much fun because they have artworks and you can like enlarge them or minimize them and sh- like figure out what part of the painting you want to be your case i didn't have any of the text any of the bright colors i just wanted it to all be blues and yellows and patterns so i got to like zoom in on that part of it did she make those pieces specifically or they just pulled from pieces that she made i don't know i think they're probably already pre-made works i don't know i'm making this up i have no idea so here's a basketball (gasps) court that she painted um it's in Chichasaw Park in Memphis. Cool. Uh, this is this is the beautiful initiative by the USA Project Backboard Association, restyling basketball courts that require care and transforms them into works of art thanks to collaborations with various wow. artists. And it was done in 2017. That is so cool. She did. She's done like a bunch of murals i just picked one of them but she's like a whole list of murals so this is 2017 she made this in coney island and it's thor's equities coney art walls located right by the luna park and dino's wonder wheel i love the one mermaid's boob it's so cute yeah and then this is how i discovered her so she was also one of a handful of artists picked for the Peanuts Global Artist Collective last year in 2018. 
and um, they interviewed and selected a group of artists to create Peanuts-themed work in their style, in their aesthetic, and to try to have the world of Peanuts be filtered through their lens and then displayed to the public or be more -hmm. visible. Here's some of the work that she did. Like, here are some of the art pieces. Her piece that she did on the... Like, roll-up Like, roll thing. The roll-up door um, mural. And then they all put their work on products, like socks and jackets and skateboards and bags and water bottles and purses. And Where whatever. is this so Here's some images. Oh. So it was sold, but it was... Um, there's a place called Story in New York City and it's a really cool store. They like completely change the store and the products every, I think couple months. I don't think it's every month, but it completely changes. Um, so when I was there, it was a collaboration with Alande Batan. Um, he was yeah, that philosopher yeah. that it was like his company, like like the school oh, of life. Yeah, his, his, it's his, like his lecture thing. thing he does. Then this one they collaborated with the Peanuts Global Artist Collective, so they had all their stuff there. And here are some of the places where her work was shown. They like went to I think seven different cities throughout the world. So she had a mural in Paris at the Le Chisin Hotel. It's a really famous hotel. Did she I guess. actually paint it, or it's just like a I don't know if it's like a banner thing. And then they had digital murals in a bunch of places. So she had a digital one up in Berlin. And then she had um, a digital one in Tokyo in the famous crosswalk in Shibuya. Cool. That's awesome. For this, they talked about what inspired her to participate in the Peanuts Project. And she said, when I was a kid, I was completely hooked on all the Peanuts movies um, it was actually Race for Your Life. Charlie Brown was one of my favorites. The subtle humor and illustrations always kept me captivated. As a child, I would draw all my favorite characters. So to be able to filter peanuts through my creative lens is definitely a childhood dream come true. That's so cool that she has a personal connection with it. That makes it even better. <laughs> yeah, she said she had like peanuts sheets and she still has like a Aww. pillowcase from it. So, like, 10 years ago, she felt like she hadn't found her voice, and she thought she she would just, like, imitate what a good artist was versus staying true and making work in a way her hand naturally mm. would. And then over that time, imagery became flatter, more interested in simplifying so anyone could approach it regardless of artistic knowledge, which is very similar to what we hope to do with right, this. Right, exactly. And she talks about generalizing news. So if it was about police brutality, it was just about that subject generally versus specific of like the place, the people, the time that it's happened, all of that. So it just becomes about the greater experience. So her works are never planned out beforehand, except for I'm sure maybe her big mural thing. Um, But when she's painting she just finds imagery as she's mm-hmm. creating and puts it in it. She never knows how it's going to look like at the that. end of it. And she tries to reach everyone. They're like, who's your audience? And she's like, everyone world. if possible. <laughs> she has <laughs> no specific audience and wants all people of all walks of life. 
Uh, oh, about the text. She said she chooses form over meaning and she uses it as like abbreviations or to throw the viewer off or to give hints to allude to something specific. So sometimes it means kind of mm-hmm. nothing. I like that too. <laughs> and other times it's helpful. <laughs> Real good. <laughs> <laughs> And then in the last two years, she started doing more public work. It's similar to her paintings, but she, she's just doing it to expand her audience as yeah. well and get get people to engage and look at art who might not otherwise see it, might not go into mm-hmm. a gallery or go into a museum. Like that was a huge part of the Peanuts Global Collective is to bring art that's in galleries and bring it onto the street. Like they're not traditionally street right. artists. So... That's definitely one of the things Um, that I connect with the most. I mean, I know you know that, but that was always Keith Haring's thing. And like my senior project, that was kind of what I was going mm -hmm. for. The idea that, and that's what this podcast is about. The idea that people who don't, like you were saying in one of them, how, sorry, I can't see your face. I need to look at you while I'm talking. Um, You were saying, oh, I don't want to see my own face though. Oh, you were saying that one of the problems with gallery people looking at art and galleries being approachable is that when people go in they want the the gallery the people that work at the gallery don't talk and don't make you feel comfortable but i really do think another part of it is like there's a huge group of people who don't even think of going to galleries as a thing that anyone does so i agree with or i really connect with the keith herring thing and and what nina's saying about having your work out there and having it be something that anyone can look at. And maybe it's like like a gateway drug moment <laughs> where it's, you know, you see this work on the street and then you're like, I really like this. And then you look up the artist and then you go to their show in and a And now with the internet, you can do that. I think before mm-hmm. it was hard. Like you see something and you're like, hmm. like I've seen Keith Haring's work way before I knew really who he was on people's t-shirts and shit. Like it was just right. a thing in the nineties that people knew about, or it just was around because he worked for a lot of his work was included in a lot of things, but, but I didn't know what to do with that information until I found out who he was. And then I was like, Oh, I've seen that before. And I think that happens to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but now with the internet, you can just be like, who is this? And look it up and start following them and people who don't know much about art can still have access to it so i really like that because i think more people than we give credit for are very interested in stuff like that and they just don't know how to enter it because they aren't an artist right or know any artists in their life like i think my family or friends that don't know stuff just because they know me they have more of an a place to go with it but if they didn't know an artist it would be different. Completely. What do you think about her just making things and not having much? I obviously really like her work and I think it's an important conversation to be had. The part that I want her voice in this a little mm-hmm. bit more. And maybe it's there. Maybe I need to see her work in person. I guess rather than just talking about it's about this and about this, like I want to hear her th- thoughts a little bit more on how she feels about these things that are happening i agree and i think another thing that i that immediately comes to mind when you say that is that well two things the world is scary first of all i think it is scary to put your voice out there even on this podcast every single thing i say i'm like worried about it it's it's scary everyone just wants to ding you for everything you say 
and you, it's almost like we can't have a conversation with each other anymore. And I think art is a way to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I agree in some ways with what you're saying. Like we want to hear, this is how you're talking to us. Maybe she feels it's more effective to not be specific. And so I think in some ways, maybe she's just doing that. Like, here's the situation. I'm drawing you in. I'm bringing it up. And now have a conversation. Or like, I'm bringing up questions. Oh, Mark Bradford was saying, I, art. Like, I want my art to bring up questions. Ask questions. It's not really as much about, at least for him, as... Like, here is how I feel specifically. It's like, let's ask the question so that we can all talk about it instead of, you know, if she had more of her voice and opinion in it, maybe it would immediately be a turnoff for a bunch of people. Well, not, not even in her work necessarily. Like, I think her work does a great job of creating a safe place where people can begin to have these conversations where if, like, otherwise, if you're just looking at the news article about it, you probably wouldn't have the, you wouldn't feel like you could open mm-hmm. up in the same way. And through all this research, it was sort of the same information just repeated over and over again about what she's looking at and how she combines it, but not a lot on her specific views yeah. about anything. And that's where, I don't, I'm just curious. I'm just a curious person. It's kind of like Diego, though. I just got frustrated. I was just like, where is it that where he where he tells me what, what he's thinking? But maybe people are just private, too. That's another thing I thought of the other day where I was like, maybe they just don't. They are making work and they want to put their work out there. But, like, she didn't even talk about if you could barely find out that she was a queer woman. I mean, maybe she just doesn't yeah. want to talk about it on a larger scale like that yeah obviously it's tricky for me because she works so opposite of what i do so i think like my brain just can't even comprehend it just like short that's why we're both so (laughs) opposite on these topics is like i feel so much her way where i just make things because i make them and i always have but i also see your side too and how you are curious and how it does change what it means to you and all of that, so, and that we do have some sort of responsibility to talk about those things if we're going to make them and put them out in the world. She talks about sometimes it's just there to trip the viewer up. That is such an easy, I I wish I came up with that a long time ago. It's just like the Virgin Mary. She, like, no one else can say it was God made me pregnant. Like, now the rest of the world's like, damn it, she she already used that excuse. No one else can use it. It was was God. God. It It was was God. God. Religion. (laughs) Just talk about religion. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well while we're at it. (sighs) What else can we make people hate about us? Oh, don't even start with that question. Cool. How do you feel about this one? It was like we didn't have too much to say. She didn't give us much to go on. And uh, there weren't any articles of people talking shit. I think she's kind of in a good middle ground, uh, a middle brow of (laughs) where she's not saying it's not about anything. She's saying it's about hot topics and it's obvious that it's about race and sex and, you know, politics and stuff. But she's not being super specific either. And she's just trying to get people to see things from another perspective, which I really like. It's not like hey, look at all this shit we have to go through as X, Y, and Z. And then people not in that group are like, 
yeah we know and we don't know really what to do about it and it sucks and we feel guilty and Mm -hmm. it's like the charity thing like people trying to get people to give money to charities by making them feel like shit about their own lives Mm -hmm. she's more just being like look at this and what if you were in this position and and so i think people want to engage with it more i want to read this thing that people are sometimes mad at me it's like an article about her it's called people are sometimes mad at me I never oh, read anything okay. where people are mad at her, though. Mm-hmm. If I have to paint, if I paint a black figure, it can't just be a figure, she explains in the exhibition catalog. It has to be about blackness or race or whatever, where white artists don't have to think about those things. Yeah, I think that's the tricky thing about being an artist of color is, for the most part, like that has to be part of the conversation where. If you're a white artist, it feels like you can be outside of that conversation. It's not about being white. It's about you know what's, okay. whatever. But if you're, I don't know. I, I made you lose it. Well, I'm, I'm in dangerous territory now. I like how when I'm in dangerous territory, I just assume we're going to cut it out. <laughs> and I just keep talking. <laughs> in that case, I don't know if it's something that they wish they could escape and just make work in a vacuum or if it's something that is important that it's a part of their practice like i don't know i can't say what that is but i think it's it shouldn't be unless it is part of the work how you read the work that's the hard part you're always going to read it that way that's what she's saying yeah but that's because yeah well i think that's that's because we think of whiteness as like the center of the universe and anything that is unwhite has to be that's so funny so that brings me back to diego he's trying to get away from that same thing except he instead of what she's doing which is using whiteness to get away from it he's just using asianness to get away from it but that doesn't really work because we think whiteness Mm -hmm. is the center of the universe so is he doing anything different than her i'm curious like she swapped races to get away from people talking about her race he's trying to do the same thing he just didn't do it with white people and so now we're like oh you can't just do that because it's fetishizing or it's Mm -hmm. and those things are real but like had he just made it white people like the ones where he does white people we don't even think about it we're part of the problem we are she says, at least in, oh, she says, at the heart of the canvas denotes a figure in distress. At least one instance of text was pulled from Beyonce's Lemonade. She's like referenced Beyonce and Lil Wayne in the same article, so I'm really happy with her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm try- Sorry, I just really want to find where people are mad at her. I oh. don't think people are. Here we go. She says, peop- I don't think they are. She maybe thinks they are. Uh, quote, people are sometimes mad at me. Because I can't give them a specific meaning for a painting. <laughs> Lindsay. Yeah, I feel like. <laughs> Lindsay's I'm, mad at her. But that's I'm not my agenda, mad at she you. adds. <laughs> my agenda is to present your Instagram timeline back to you so you can take time to digest it. For better or for worse, the candy coating makes it easier to swallow. That's the end of that article. Go to Brooklyn and see her mural of mermaids, if it's still there. And go to a, ban- a random basketball court in Memphis and then see that too. Um, okay. Love you guys. Hopefully this sounded better. I sure hope so. So awkward. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.